Hey everyone, welcome to the show. You're listening to Can I, the Latchel podcast named for the acronym Continuous and Never Ending Improvement. At Latchel, we have a deep belief that you can't get better by staying the same. And our podcast is here to give you the tools and resources you need to achieve healthy growth. As a Y Combinator backed company, we know what it takes to have rapid, accelerated growth, and we want to pass our learnings along to you. At Latchel, we help property managers and landlords grow and scale by taking over 24-7 maintenance operations. We've developed an innovative mix of software and on-demand support to help do that. Each week on this show, we bring on industry experts and we dive into the topics that'll help you shape your business. Welcome to the show. Let's get going. All right. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this session of the Latchel Property Management Podcast. I'm Ethan Lieber, the CEO of Latchel, host of your show today. And with me is our guest, Ashley Fidler, the VP of Product and Technology at Pure Property Management. Ashley's had a long career building high-value B2B products that level up the customer experience in a wide variety of industries. And now she's working to do that in property management building a user-focused platform at Peer. Um, So we're going to be talking about the adoption and utilization of technology, artificial intelligence, and how that all works in a relationship-driven industry like property management. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Thanks for having me. By the way, I should have checked before we started if I pronounced your last name correctly. That's correct, yep. All right, cool. So now people will be able to find you easily on LinkedIn. Well, before we dive in, I'd love to give listeners a little more insight into your background. So maybe you can start by telling us what was it that brought you out of industries like cybersecurity and IT and into the property management industry? Yeah, I started becoming familiar with property management a couple of years back, and I just find it really fascinating from a user and a data perspective. So, you know, I've realized over the time I've been involved that Property management is really like everything a human can do with a building, which is pretty much everything you could think of. And I just have a massive amount of respect for the property managers I've met and thought it would be a really interesting place um, to work from a technology perspective, because there's just a lot of opportunity to make people's lives uh, easier. I think the thing that impressed me when I got into the property management industry was... um, Typically in startups and technology, when you're launching things, you need a lot of grit to get over the hump. But property management's the one place where that grit never goes away. And there are just so many things. You just got to be gritty and brute force it. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really interesting industry. Yeah, I'm wondering if that that kind of element of like gritty, grittiness and figuring things out, does that ever make it more complicated? to find like technology solutions? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I've noticed is just how many different products people use and how many, you know, I think in our company at Pure, we have on average like seven to nine different products that all of our different property managers use. Um, Mm -hmm. That's just a lot and knitting all of that together is is highly complex. So yeah, it definitely makes the technology landscape more, more complicated than it might be in other industries. And I think property management also just hasn't had quite as long to like mesh everything together. Like there's been a trend in cybersecurity and in FinTech for the last at least 10 years of really 
bringing all of these disparate products together in a unified way. And that's just now starting to happen in property management, which is why I think it feels a little more disparate here than it does in other industries. Well, yeah. I mean, thank God you finally have a lot of the big property management systems opening up APIs and things like that. Yes, definitely. It took long It's a enough. good trend. <laughs> yeah, very good. So as, as the VP of product and tech at Peer, what are your main objectives for the business? You know, so at Peer, we're a conglomeration of property management companies, right? So our job on the tech side is to make our people's lives easier and to improve the customer service um, for our property management owners and um, residents across our portfolio. So, you know, that means, you know, I spend a lot of time on what I like to call 20 minute problems, like all the time during the day that our property management team loses 20 minutes because mm. they don't have the information they need. They can't get, you know, figure out or confirm if something did or didn't happen. They have to copy something out of one system and put it in another system, right? I would estimate, you know, most of the people on our team lose hours every day just with these things that they could be spending working to make a really valuable um, customer experience for owners and residents at Pierre. And that's what we want them to focus on. Interesting. So is there, um, and we'll probably get more into this later. So maybe we just covered at a high level right now. But as sort of the specialists in product and like technology, are there mm -hmm. certain ways you bring that data and information together from these disparate systems? Yeah. So, I mean, that's why when we think about the tech we're building, we talk more about platform and less about a product, right? Because what we're trying to do is, you know, open, use these open APIs that you're talking about to connect together all of the different systems our people need to use and increase visibility. So we're spending a lot of time on, for example, task and task management and communication that pulls from all of the different systems that we use internally and brings things together so that we can avoid the 20 minute problem of, you know, I do an inspection, I print out my inspection report, I then go enter the data into my maintenance mm. system, you know, so we're really focused on one stop shop and bringing everything that we need to use together. Interesting. So if I'm like a property manager, yeah. And let's say I'm talking with Peer about like coming into that ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, will I expect the technologies I use to change? Or we want no. We want to let people use whatever they want to use, right? If you love your maintenance tool, if you love your inspection tool, fine, right? Like we're built. You know, my background is in um, AI, machine learning, and enterprise platform development. So we're building a fintech platform, basically for property management, a platform that brings mm. together, you know, whatever solutions people want to use and make sure under the hood, we've got data, machine learning, tooling, project management, communications that bring everything together. That's really awesome. our focus. And so I think that's something that a perspective we have at Pure that's a little bit different from other companies in the industry, which is why we're focusing there, because we want to be an open ecosystem for people to come and come and work on our platform. That's awesome. I I'm going to really want to dig into that piece later because there's probably a lot of interesting places we could go with that. Uh, but before we do that, let's kind of go a little bit more high level. Um, and pro property management, fundamentally, it's a relationship-driven industry. And I think because of that, you have this aversion oftentimes to technology. And I think that's changing, but it can still be complex and confusing. When What technologies do you adopt? How much do you automate? how much you actually use artificial intelligence. And I think a lot of folks make the kind of natural assumption that like 
the more technology you use, the more it removes your ability to run a company in a relationship-based kind of format. So maybe I'd, I'll, talk, I'll toss you the question. You tell, tell me what you think here. How do you see technology used in a valuable way in the industry? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a common, I want to say maybe misperception or slightly differently perceived thing when you're bringing technology into an industry that hasn't had as much before, right? There was similar concerns in finance and cybersecurity. Like, you know, from my perspective, bringing technology in actually gives people time to focus on the things that they really want to focus on from a relationship point of view. So if you're spending all your time copying and pasting things or dealing with friction with your technology, you don't have that time to go provide amazing white glove service to your customers. And I think, you know, as there's more tech in this industry, people are going to, you know, the benefit property managers bring to the table is going to be that white glove service, right? There's always going to be a number of people who just don't want to self-serve. Like they do not want to manage their properties themselves, right? And you know, it doesn't like those people are always going to be there and they're going to expect like a higher and higher bar of service as the technology gets better because they're mm -hmm. going to go look at what they could do by themselves and say, well, I could do this myself. Like the technology's there. It's actually pretty easy to use, but I don't want to. And since I'm not doing it myself, I expect the people who are serving me to be really concierge oriented. Right. And you don't have time as a property manager to provide that concierge level of service if you're spending all of your time fighting with your technology. So I think, you know, I don't think from my perspective, there's anything inconsistent with using a lot of technology and still having a very relationship driven business. In fact, technology can give you more time for your relationships. Yeah. Do you think who you're building the relationship with matters? I guess really what I'm asking is I think property managers will, will pro I think everyone's going to understand that explanation. And I think the next question is going to be, well, if I'm spending time building the relationships, I see all these different services for the resident, but do I really want to be doing like my own white glove experience with the residents or am I better served creating that white glove experience to the owner? I think it's going to depend a lot on, you know, each individual business and how you want to differentiate yourself, right? Like what makes you special as a property management company in the industry? If everybody has a certain high level of technology, there's a certain baseline that will be there. And then if you want to differentiate yourself by really going all in on owner relationships or providing an amazing resident experience, that's your choice. But you know, there'll be a baseline of technology that, you know, can be, ex can provide a sort of expected level of service across the board. And then you can go from there. Yeah, uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. And if, probably the next question becomes, yeah, that makes sense. I want to create time. I want to have that white glove service, but how do I ensure my technology doesn't actually become an obstacle in delivering that? Totally. And I think that is a challenge the industry has today. At least I see that with the companies that we work with up here that, you know, we, I think they do an, a really admirable job, but, you know, there are definitely times when they're fighting against that technology more than they're working with it. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think at this moment in time, the best thing you can do is really make sure you understand your processes overall and how you're differentiating yourself as a company and then choose the tech to meet that, right? Like, I think mm. sometimes we think about tech as some kind of silver bullet, like 
we're going to get a new tool and it's going to fix a bunch of problems for us. Normally not, right? Like tech is a tool. It's just that, right? Like if you get a really amazing hammer, like you can drill nails a bit faster, but at the end of the day, like you still need to know what kind of building you're building or what you're doing with that hammer, right? And yeah. same thing with a business. So I think, you know, there's going to be, as there's more and more tech tools on the market, like people need to take a bigger step back and think critically about their business, about their operations, about their processes. And should they pick tech to serve them instead of just picking a tool and assuming it's going to fix a bunch of problems, which it probably won't fix. Do property managers have to become process experts to effectively leverage technology? That's a great question. I mean, if you're going to operate at any kind of scale, probably you do. You know, I mean, it's. I think it's all about scale, right? If you want to manage a small portfolio, mm -hmm. fine, right? You don't need a lot of process to do that. You can have a very small team and you can that on your own. If you want to manage like a thousand or more properties, you're going to have some processes, right? If you don't have processes there, you're going to have quite a lot of friction and a lot of duplicated effort of people running around, you know, trying to get or getting in each other's way. And it's not going to be a great experience for the people doing the work, nor for the, you know, end users, the owners and the residents. I think this is a maybe good jumping off point to our, our next question here, because you, you've talked about how you know, pick the t technologies that actually facilitate the process you're creating. And, and yeah. that'll depend on your scale. Um, so much VC money has been pouring in to prop mm -hmm. tech and especially single family recently. And so with a, a surge of all this new technology, I think there's this element of option overload. And it's like, there's yeah. a lot to pick from. Some of them all look the same. So how can there be 20 things that do the same thing it can be confusing? But is there like a mental framework you would suggest folks use when they're, um, you know, building tech or choosing tech products on how to like filter out noise and kind of pick what's needed? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, definitely starting from the big picture, like, you know, how are you differentiating yourself? Are you all about resident experience, all about owner experience? where what team do you have you know where are they who are they what are their strengths and weaknesses and like what overall like are your operational goals right do you want to make sure you can always play golf at 4 p.m on like thursday and friday afternoons or you know like what is your business what are your business objectives right and then i think you go and and put your tax tech stack together um to meet that objective and i think yeah it's we've seen this happen it happened in fintech and it happened in cybersecurity where the all of a sudden just there's this flood of products and everyone's saying the same thing and you can't really quite tell. I think as a consumer, you want to ask for a lot of evidence. You want to ask like, who are you working with? What proof points do you have? You know, not just a couple, but like, what, what are you actually, how can you demonstrate that this is actually doing what you say it's going to do? Mm. And, you know, think from the perspective of your business and then find some smart questions that would, kind of show the gaps or show places where this might not work for you. If you understand like what is really necessary to run your business, you'll ask smart questions that'll help you point out because salespeople at the end of the day, they're going to be like, it's amazing. It's going to fix all your problems. I mean, that's their job, right? That's yeah. what they have to do. And so it's your job then to understand your business and to really have smart questions that help you like suss out the differences between products. Yeah, that's a good, good point. And, um, I think we don't see it enough from folks like they'll they'll latch on to 
the idea of the thing. Like, hey, here's what this is. Everybody does drive. that. It's, it's really normal. It's like right? the human experience. It's human nature, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and then on the flip side, what I've sometimes seen is when folks do kind of drill in, I think what sometimes is challenging is knowing like, like no, no software, no technology is perfect. Just like no, yeah. no tool is going to be perfect. And there's just no silver bullet, like you said. So how does a company distinguish like kind of the must haves from uh, like, I wish it didn't work that way, but that shouldn't stop me from getting the other values. Yeah, I mean, what we do in product management in general is what we call like journey mapping, user journey mapping. You know, that's basically like, what is it that we're trying to do? Like take the technology out of the equation, right? Like what problem are we solving? Who's involved? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? What goals do we have? Then you can think about the technology. Like, what is the absolute bare minimum set of things required to do that journey that I just described, right? right. And that's your must-haves, right? If you cannot do your job without something, then it's a must-have. There's a lot of other things that feel like maybe you can't do your job without it that, you know, if you think about it in a slightly different way, you, you might be able to get away with it. So you want to, I think, boil it down to the absolute bare bones to start with. Just, you know, can I achieve the objective in some way with these features? That's the must-haves. Yeah. And then how do I make that nice? Those are the, you know, like what I, things I would like to have, right? Nice experience is not V1. Like V1 is just, it has to be there or I literally can't do anything and there's no work around then you can get into the, okay, how do I smooth things out? How do I make it prettier? How do I make things smoother? But first you've got to make sure the job that has to get done can get done. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'm going to throw out like a hypothesis here that your answer made me think of. And I want to get your take on this because I think that this can be a challenge for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. The industry as in a big way, I think built around the first technology players, like the PMS systems, right? Yeah. And you kind of said, you know, there's going to be things that don't look like good solutions, but in fact, maybe what they require is just a shift in thinking, a shift in like the mental model. Mm -hmm. But because these PMS systems like, you know, Yardi, Upfolio, they've been around forever and the industry is sort of built around them and there were inherent limitations to them that led to certain ways of running processes That's true. that may actually not be the right things to be doing, but they're conventional, right? It's what we've been mm -hmm. doing. How do you, how do property managers figure out what are the ways we've always done it that aren't the right ways to keep doing it now that we have these new technologies versus does the technology support this old way of doing it? Yeah, I mean, what I always recommend is just to take a step back and pretend you don't have any technology. And if you were starting from scratch today, like what would your process be? Mm -hmm. And then layer in the technology. And you might have to make some compromises along the way, because like you said, there's no technology that's perfect. Nothing is going to have all the features you want and all it's going to be perfectly smooth. That's just not how the world works. But, you know, if you just take a step back and say, OK, like just from ground zero, if I didn't have any tech, what would I want my process to be? And then layer the tech on top, you'll probably replace some things that you thought were the normal way to do it, that it turns out it's just not necessary to do it that way. I think this is like fantastic advice actually for every business. 
um, which connects to like, I think in, pro well, I know this yeah. is how they talk about it. Amazon generally in product, it's like the whole idea of first principles. Yep. It's like, if you were going to do it all from scratch and you weren't tethered, how would you do it to create, you know, the best customer experience yep. or, you know, the most efficient operational mm -hmm. process. And it's really hard to do. For sure. It's so hard to, if you've been using a tool for a long time, it's very, very hard to separate yourself from how that tool does things. Cause it's just like, you've gotten so used, it's like breathing, right? Like you just know intimately like what is gonna happen. And you're like, well, I can't do that cause it's gonna cause all these problems, right? Pete, the property managers I know know their tools like so well. Yeah. And so it's hard to take that step back sometimes. But if you wanna change, you gotta do that, right? Like if you wanna change, you gotta go back to first principles. Yeah, I mean, I think that's also probably why, um, you know, we we play in this the resident amenity, resident benefit mm -hmm. space. But I think that's why it's taken so long for a lot of like the, you know, mid-market and, you know, single family property managers to start doing this. When like big multifamily has been doing it forever, it just wasn't conventional. But then it's yep. like, well, why not? Why can't right. you do that? Why can't we create highly higher margin more profitable management companies do we have to be razor thin margin industry forever turns out the answer is no we can actually yeah. be a higher margin industry and get nice well it's all about scale client. again yeah i mean scale the question of scale comes back again because historically like the tech you know was too expensive to run a small operation on right and mm -hmm. in the last five to ten years there's been a massive explosion in just B2B SaaS kind of technologies and the quality and the kinds of things you can build, um, you know, off the shelf, like with off the shelf technologies, like the kind of stuff that we build just like in a quarter today used to take years, even five years ago, it would take, you know, five or 10 years ago, it would take years to build some of that because the components yeah. weren't there. So that's why it's, you know, this stuff is available to single family, you know, space that probably and, you know, 10 years ago, only the big Just banks could afford possible. it. And now, you know, now and the big investors and now um, it's more accessible to people who are managing like 500 doors. Yeah. So as all this stuff becomes more accessible and property managers look to change their tech stack, um, it brings up this whole other issue of like the change management involved, mm -hmm. uh, adding, you know, adding a benefit package, uh, adding a new software, adding a new workflow doing more integrations, all, all this stuff requires a lot of work um, yeah. in process change. And I'm wondering, are there suggestions you'd give to property managers um, that maybe they're actually excited by the consolidation happening in the industry and they want to tee up to maybe become a part of peer or, or maybe they're already part of peer and they're just trying to enhance and improve that operation. Are there suggestions you'd give to these managers to avoid a poor implementation experience? Yeah, I mean, again, really knowing what you're trying to do is critical, like beyond the technology, like what goals do I have? <laughs> you know, what am I trying to, you know, what accomplish? What am I, where am I positioning my company, right? Knowing that is really, really important. And then in terms of change management, I would say making sure like your team is on board and they understand what you're trying to do is kind of rule number one with change management, right? Like nobody likes to have things shoved down their throats at some, the end of the day, you know, there's a bit of a, you know, going back to Amazon disagree and commit moment where like, we've mm -hmm. all talked about this and we've decided on this path and we might not all love it, but like, we're going to commit to that and go forward. But like people can't, 
commit to something if they haven't had a chance to discuss it. So I think that's, a, you know, before you start with any implementation, really having those conversations, having people understand like why you're doing something, what does it, you know, what does it mean? What impact might it have? And let get people's feedback. That helps a lot. Um, and then, you know, implementation in general, I think a lot of it is around just communication and understanding like, okay, I'm blocked by this. I can't do my job because of this. Um, I need help. Right. And also kind of going side by side, like, don't try to just say, here's your new tool. Old one's gone. Like day one is today, right. You're going to have an explosion yeah. if you do that for sure. Right. So you've got to find a way to sort of run in parallel, give people training, give people a chance to get ramped up and and then make the switch before you just, you know, you got to think about business disruption. All the property managers I know have about 9,000 balls in the air at any given time, right? And if you move like one thing, you know, they're going to fall and trip. Like it's just too much to keep in, you know, so you got to take that yeah. into consideration when you roll something out, that it's a change for people and they need time to adjust. Yeah, I've seen... I've seen great success and horrible failure and the commonalities between those two sides I've seen is on the great success slide years. That's the success side. You're typically rolling out and, and slowly increasing how you're leveraging, yep. you know, the technologies and, you know, for us, it might mean you know, let's roll out the amenity platform first. Yep. Now let's like ease into some of those maintenance automations over time. And then on the flip side, the thing that I just see as a catastrophic failure is exactly what you said. We'll get like a broker owner that comes in, signs up, runs the onboard, they go live, and we find out the day after go live that there was a maintenance coordinator or something like that yeah. that no one ever said anything about that's then like, what the hell's this thing? And they have right. no idea how to use it. They're confused, you know, why the company signed up and you got to make sure everyone has context. Totally. Yeah. It helps a lot. And people, people, I don't think are as change averse as sometimes we say they are. It's more just like nobody likes having things shoved down their throat. Like, you know, people want to understand. They want to ask questions. That's totally normal. It's, and everyone should have the opportunity to do that. I think. Um, I'd love to dig into how you're working with the peer, uh, offices. Sure. Um, and I'd like to start with the things you found working very well. And then maybe we can talk about like the opposite, the things that maybe were tested, but didn't quite, quite work right. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll start with that first one. Are there certain types of yeah. artificial intelligence you're using in the offices or certain like uh, technologies and automation platforms that are working really well for folks? Yeah, I mean, the big stuff we've focused on is visibility and removing some of those 20 minute problems I talked about, right? So how do we mm -hmm. connect things together? How do we let people see, like let the right hand see what the left hand is doing and make sure, you know, one thing we learned, for example, is that um, a lot of people lose things in their email because it's like in Betty's email and Paul needs it and he doesn't know that it's in mm -hmm. Betty's email. So like we're integrating that into our platform so that they can see the Gmail is there and they can see some of each other's emails. So those kinds of things are things that, you know, we found are really are you, helpful. Are you using like an off the shelf product for that? Or have you home built something that makes um, it more visible? We're using Google and then plugging it into our just data platform. Uh, interesting. So like it, if, if, if someone's a pure office, you've basically made it really easy for, you know, maybe one property manager to see something that might be 
might have accidentally or yep. you know, maybe worked by a different property manager of the company. Yeah. So that's the kind of problem we're focusing on. The stuff we decided like we really don't want to focus on is like replacing all the tools people use, right? Like we don't want to do that, right? People love whatever inspection tool they're using, keep using it. You love your maintenance mm -hmm. tool, great, right? You want to stay with your property management system, but you want us to add reporting and, and some other project management, fine. So we're trying, you know, we realized that to the point on change management, like you don't want, like there are a lot of moving parts in property management and we want to be like the spacklers in chief, right? We want to just bring everything together and make the overall experience really smooth and not like try to, you know, replace, like, you know, replace every tool that people use. Cause that's just too much change and not necessary. Yeah. Are there a couple like uh 20 minute problems you're currently looking at that you'd be able to share with us? We're really focused a lot on the task management ones. So what we've noticed is a lot of our, our um, property managers use like a totally separate project management tool that doesn't integrate with their PM system. And, mm. you know, like they all have to go to that tool, then go to their PM system and like nothing goes together. And so, but task management is really, really critical to what people do, right? So having task management to one side and email and communications to the other side means that like the vast majority of things you're doing aren't in your platform, right? And yeah. so that's kind of the problem we're focused on fixing is just helping people get visibility and get everything in one place so that they can manage their daily workflow. Do you think this might be a weird question? And if this question is too weird, just let me know and we'll skip it. <laughs> but is the long-term vision that all these things get sort of embedded into the PMS, or is it a more powerful long-term vision to remove dependency on the PMS into a more flexible platform? I think the notion, I would, I think the notion of the PMS can change. Like it doesn't have to be historically in order for this stuff to work, it had to be this monolithic thing. And I think mm -hmm. we're already seeing with a lot of, you know, a lot of the PMS systems are already integrating a lot more. Right. We've mm -hmm. seen even in recent, even this year, like Appfolio has announced a number of, of integrations with other products. So I think we're starting to see that sort of less walled garden approach to like what a PM system has to be. Right. It doesn't have to have every single thing in it and it doesn't have to be closed. It can be an yeah. open ecosystem like we have in other industries and people can pick and choose the different pieces as long as you have like one way to knit them all together. So that's the trend that seems quite likely in property management it's happened in other industries and it's hmm. quite beneficial to users in the long term like it's nice to be able to work in an ecosystem way instead of in a like walled garden way it's a better because yeah. it gives you more flexibility do you think the the flexibility to build on top of like a an ecosystem like that's going to be limited to folks that are part of this consolidation movement like part of peer i mean how would a company that's not part of peer access something like that open apis yeah no you can do it it's we'll build one you know you it's um pretty straightforward technology it's just a matter of knowing how to provide the developer tools and developer ecosystem that you need to make that happen but i guess but, then the question is can any property management company go afford to hire a software engineer right well, you won't need, yeah, I mean, that's that. So the end user, that's a great point, right? So the end user property management companies aren't going to need to build on top of an ecosystem, right? What they mm -hmm. will benefit from is a wide variety of tools that they can use together seamlessly 
you know, like everybody talks about wanting Zapier um, integrated, right? The reason you want Zapier, right, is to hook things together in yeah. a better way, right? So like that that process is what's going to get easier. No, there's okay. no expectation that property managers are going to hire developers and go build using APIs. No, that is a, you know, it's more that people who are developers can build tools that more naturally work together for property managers to access. Uh, but does peer at a high level care about that? Well, you, I'm, I'm going to harken back to something you said early on about the data and w- which I interpreted as like kind of data transparency and integrity. Yeah. Um, if to most property, to most property managers that the integration of tooling to get things done, is probably what really matters. Yeah. But why does the data ecosystem matter to peer? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a great question. I'll say, why does the data ecosystem matter to people? And then I'll talk about peer. Like, in general, there's a lot of things that you don't realize are actually data problems that are data problems, right? Like, you know, for example, if you want to, like, um, I'll take a simple example, right? If you want to take something from your email and put it in your task manager list, that's a data problem. If you want to take data out of your lease and put it into your, you know, property management system profile and then make maintenance tickets with it, that's a data problem at the end mm. of the day. It's it's how your data is set up inside the system that restricts or enables you to do a lot of different things, especially cross-functionally, right? So historically, mm. most of the PM systems were built quite siloed, right? Here's all your leasing stuff. Here's all your accounting stuff. Here's all your maintenance stuff. Well, you can't really, you can build a report to like get some data that goes together, but you can't really like do anything with your leasing data in your maintenance system. That's something that is a data problem that is fixable. And to my mind, that kind of thing is what can really drive a lot of new user experiences that haven't existed in the property management space. Why does peer care? I mean, mostly we care because, you know, we're operating at scale and we want to do all these cool things for our people, right? Like Mm -hmm. we want to enable our property managers to do really awesome things that, you know, and to get insights, right? We want them to be able to like click a button and get profitability data to send to an owner instead of having to dig through five different systems to find all of the things that they had to pay for, all the money they got in, and then build a spreadsheet, make a dashboard and give it to them, right? Like that can take days. Yeah. You shouldn't have to. If you have the data set up correctly, it's, you know, you can just click a button and do it. And those are the kinds of experiences that we also want to bring to other people in the property management industry because we're, we are inherently a very open company. We want to work with everybody in the industry and, you know, that kind of tooling Like it only benefits all of us if we can kind of raise the general level of technology and help people do, you know, provide experiences that just weren't possible before that benefits the whole industry. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, And it almost sounds like you're solving this uh, really a a kind of business logistics problem that's kind of rooted in data. Uh, You you talked about like the old model being you got all this data and leasing yep. and then you got accounting and ultimately and this is maybe like kind of the amazon influence talk like coming through here but and by the way did you um i, I should have asked early on because you mentioned disagree and commit um are, are you ex amazon or no it's just a common framework in the tech industry yeah no i mean my okay. background is i have a phd in linguistics and i went and worked in natural language at microsoft 
Um, and I, so I worked on Xbox and Cortana, um, and then I got into FinTech from there and have been at startups for the last 10 years or so. So awesome. yeah, I, I just, you know, I think that is a very common framework and disagree and commit is a very useful, you know, it, it says everybody has to have a say, but then you all get together and you do a thing even if you don't agree, right? Because you can't have people pulling in different directions. And I think that was articulated very well by Amazon. Yeah, yeah. They have a pretty powerful uh, leadership framework. Were you, did you work with Microsoft in their Seattle office or their yep. Bellevue headquarters? Yeah, I was in, uh, I worked at the um, Microsoft labs in San Francisco or in uh, Palo Alto. And then I also worked in the Bellevue office in Seattle. Very cool. I'm in Seattle right now yeah. in the downtown we work. So yeah, <laughs> I have a lot I of friends that live. work at Xbox. So yeah, I lived in Seattle for four years. Well, it's good. You, good. You got out getting more sunshine. It looks like where, wherever you are right now, Yeah, Colorado now <laughs> in Colorado. Cool. Mm -hmm. Um, well, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I guess where I was going with that was there's, you can kind of break down a lot of these things almost into like a supply chain or logistics metaphor, mm -hmm. where if you think about like the rental unit, I mean, let's just take leasing, for example, the lease moves across right. almost, yep. you know, the, this, this supply chain uh, up to the move in, which turns into mm -hmm. the entire accounting piece. And these things all flow together. And when you, to your point, when you build these systems that silo them, you invariably just mm -hmm. create a ton of manual work that has to happen. Yep. Which isn't really necessary. Yep. Um, which I think kind of goes back to something we were talking about earlier of like, when can you use technology? Well, technology is great for removing manual work that's simply there to facilitate the movement of things like data. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do have to ask, since you have such an impressive background in uh, natural language processing and AI and machine learning, like, are, 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 is Pure using uh, that type of Not AI yet. anywhere? So I very, very strongly believe until you're doing something manually well, you should not apply machine learning or AI to it. So machine learning and AI is all about pattern finding and making predictions based on patterns and data. And until you're generating data and doing things in a way that's manual, like adding the complexity of a machine learning system, which is much more complex technology, it just doesn't benefit you. Like not everybody believes that, but I've definitely worked on enough companies that have tried to, you know, just go straight to machine learning without really being able to do it manually. And you always have to go back and make sure you can do it manually first, and then you can improve it by making things more flexible, by doing predictions, you know, by understanding things better. But until you got the data flowing and the manual process is running, you shouldn't do it. So we're still at that process of really getting all the benefit we can out of, you know, out of pure automation. And then once we have gotten to that point, you know, we'll obviously definitely use machine learning. We're set up for it now, but I don't want yeah. to introduce that kind of complexity into my world until we need it. Yeah. So this is an interesting topic. We can just spend a couple minutes on because um, lateral is not truly machine learning based like artificial intelligence. Lateral works based off decision trees yeah, exactly. and workflow triggers. Right. Which works which, great. That's a very powerful technology. Works great. Super powerful. <laughs> automate a whole bunch. It is, it is simple. Uh, 
-hmm. it's not really like AI as I think about AI, where when I think of AI, I think of like what you're talking about, like the machine learning things where literally there's actions being taken, not off decision trees, but off of like probability models behind inputs, right? Mm Um, now even in my position, leading a company, running workflow automations, it is really hard for me to see how you take something as complex as maintenance Mm. and actually create useful machine learning models. Yet at the same time, I do see companies focusing on, on, on maintenance Mm -hmm. and leasing that are attempting to leverage AI and machine learning. My question to you is, is that real? Or do they just have a whole bunch of humans in the background faking the AI? And two, like how feasible is it to build like machine learning on top of maintenance decision making? I mean, the main thing, so I don't know if it's real or not. I'm not going to comment. I don't know what companies you're talking about. So we'll leave that aside. But in general, (laughs) the way it's feasible is you break the problem down, right? Like you don't try to, I mean, eventually you can optimize with machine learning the whole process of maintenance. For example, if you focus on like decisions that people make and helping helping them predictively make a better decision by giving them the data they need and saying like, mm-hmm. okay, and then learning from the decisions that they do make, like you can do that. But, you know, for example, there's a bunch of individual problems in maintenance you could solve, like, for example, predictive maintenance, right? If you understand the brands of appliances and different things about appliances or things about roofs, like you can actually, um, you know, build a fairly simple model that would help you say, okay, like what are my top 10 roofs that are about to collapse? Or, you know, I'm just making that up, right? But like, you know, properties that need predictive maintenance, right? So that's predictive maintenance is a whole field that usually they use in industry. So for industrial equipment and things like that, but there's absolutely no reason that that kind of algorithm and model couldn't be applied to predicting, you know, appliances or other pieces of homes that might need predictive attention before it actually fails. You can take pieces like that, or you can, for example, support prioritization. You could help people, you know, say like, we would predict that you should do your tasks in this order, but then you do it in a different order. Well, then we can learn and start to help you prioritize your list automatically in a better way. So there's pieces that you can do that don't mm-hmm. require you to like use use AI to make like a maintenance robot or something. That's, you know, you maybe could do that someday, but you don't have to start there, <laughs> certainly. Yeah. Um, I, I love the example you gave because I imagine like when you start at very large institutional property managers, let's say with like, you know, hundreds of thousands of homes, it actually makes a lot of sense to use this type of AI to not only predict cost, but to also be able to look into like, well, what are actually the top performing appliances that we could equip to like reduce, you know, maintenance costs and things over time. I think it gets a little bit trickier when you look at like third-party management that's fragmented Mm -hmm. because, well, an individual owner, that individual, like if they're a DIY with one or two units, Mm -hmm. like what's the benefit to them of optimizing for like the 1% chance that this appliance outlives the other, but in aggregate, there's a lot of value. I'm wondering how you think about that. Well, you're not at that point necessarily doing it for the owner as much as for yourself. You're trying to Mm -hmm. get your people out of being on fire all the time, right? Mm -hmm. If you can help your people solve fires before they become fires, 
then, you know, I don't know if you've ever, there's an old book um, called The Goal, which is about um, like basically factory automation. But the main insight of that book, it's 20 some 30 years old, I don't know. But the really interesting insight is by expediting things, you actually slow your overall process down. Like if you get into a situation where you always have a fire and you're always expediting something, then your actual assembly line end to end is broken, right? Mm. And it actually runs way slower and everybody gets things slower and then things have to be put on fire more. Property management's not dissimilar, right? Like, you know, we just kind of wait until there's a fire and then we fix it, right? But then you get into this situation where you're always behind trying to catch up and people are always calling you being like, ah, I have all these problems, right? So if you can even take 10% of that away, 20% of that away, where you're being able to fix that stuff before it goes wrong, you know, that's a huge win for your team. And it has not necessarily benefit individual owners, but it does in the sense that they're going to have less grumpy tenants who stay longer. So that's yeah. how I would think about it. That's an incredible way to frame it. I also love the manufacturing analogy. What's the, uh, is it called an and on cord, which is like the whole concept mm-hmm. of like, can we stop yep. the the manufacturing mm-hmm. line to actually fix the problem yep. so that it's not getting like worse and worse and worse, right? Yep. Yeah. So just keeping ahead of things and getting into a culture where you're able to start being proactive, that's a massive benefit. So we're, we're coming up. We only have a couple questions left here. So I'm going to ask the big one uh, and, and then we'll start ramping down. What does the future of property management look like? I mean, obviously no one can really answer that, but I think if you look to other industries, you know, there have already been other industries, many other industries that have gone through con- consolidation, that have gone through big tech explosions where there's tons of new products. And then have gone to kind of more open ecosystem models. I think that's the path that property management seems to be on also, which is, you know, honestly, like it's a bit rough in the middle when all these new products come on and people are like, what do I do with all this stuff? Do I even need any of this? But over time, as it consolidates, it really does help choice in the industry and Mm. just smooths out processes and helps people streamline. So I think that's kind of the path that we that property management seems to be on, which, you know, I think has been a successful path in other industries. I think you've literally just like shined the light into this like dark cave that's like confusing for me to see through uh, on 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 the future property management. Or we'll call it a tunnel because you know whatever light at the end of it. But I, I never made this connection until you just made that comment on like from the the, the previous answer you gave about this sort of like aggregation of data to use intelligently to do predictive maintenance and all this stuff with this kind of future uh, of using more technology. And then I think the thing we we didn't say that I think has to be true is that it's the management companies that are going to have access to all of these robust sort of like AI and machine learning technologies mm-hmm. just simply by virtue of scale. A DIY, DIY landlord will never be using these things. And what that fundamentally means, well, they might use like automation technologies or like. Yeah, know, some things, apps. But, but the professional companies will be ahead because they're at the bigger scale. And because the professional companies are ahead from this scale, what you'll actually find is the, um, you know, in, in aggregate, the benefit on like cost, reliability becomes mm-hmm. massively better 
for professional managers than the DIYs. I mean, it already is from a residence perspective, but I think uh, one of the gaps is a lot of uh, accidental landlords, DIY landlords, even some institutional that self-manage the, the gap from like their own benefit on like net operating income doesn't feel like it's there. Mm-hmm. But if as professional managers, we can start making better decisions around like what what products to actually put in place in the home, the types of things to do, the preventative maintenance, the resource planning, all of a sudden, your net operating income as a property owner becomes astronomically better if you use a professional manager, even if you're paying them 8 to yep. 10% of rent. And so it does seem like in this future when technology is leveraged to a, a better degree that you also grow the property management market. The third yeah. party market grows. Definitely can do. Yeah. It'd be awesome to like fast forward to see if like 80% of rentals are professionally managed in the future versus you know, 30%. Um, yeah. I mean, if you can make your money back, like if you can pay your 10% and then get 15% more revenue, it's a no brainer. Like why wouldn't you use a professional management company? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and la- la- okay, last question before we go into wrap up here. Are there any trends you're seeing in the industry that property managers listening should be should make sure they're tuned into? No, I mean, I think we've covered on a lot of the major ones. I think, you know, making sure you're picking an ecosystem that's open. You're not like locking yourself into technology where your data is going to be trapped because that'll like make it harder for you to switch in the future and, and really just you know, go take a look at all the new technology that's out there. This is a beautiful, almost like Cambrian explosion period of technology in this space, right? So like, take it with an open mind and and go and take a look and see what's out there and then use that as kind of fodder for yourself to go think about your business and what all the possibilities are for you. And then you can, you know, make smarter decisions about how to use tech in your business. Awesome. I love that. And I think at this point, Ashley, folks are, are, they've got burning questions. They're wondering, what does NLP mean? They're, they're wondering, uh, sh- should I be teeing myself up to, to join Pure? This sounds incredible. And they're going to want to talk to you. So where should listeners go to, to connect with you and, and learn more about you? I'm not too much on social media, but I do use LinkedIn quite a bit. So I'm quite easy to find there. And yeah, feel free to reach out anytime. Awesome. Well, you heard it from Ashley. Hit her up on LinkedIn. Uh, her name is Ashley Fiddler, F-I-D-L-E-R. Uh, go say hi. Go connect. She'll tell you all about Pure and all the good uh, AI things happening. Um, well, Ashley, thank you so much for joining. Like super deep conversation. Um, I'm I'm sure some things folks are gonna have to go Google. I know I'm walking away with a couple terms and a a book at least that I'm going to have to go find on Google from you. Um, So thank you so much. Thank you. It's been great. And for everyone listening, thank you for tuning in. Uh, If you're interested in more topics on property management, growth, and scalability, head over to latchel.com, subscribe to our newsletter, and stay up to date on upcoming podcasts, webinars, tactics for growth, all kinds of good things. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date. Hit that subscribe button. Give us some love. Maybe give us a five-star review, too, if you like what you're hearing. And I have an ask for you. I'd like you to go to latchel.com 
and click the book a demo button to schedule time to talk with us. We want to hear about your business, how you've been, how you're growing, how maintenance is going at your company. Maybe we can work together, maybe not, but you won't know unless you talk to us. So go to latchel.com, click the book a demo button. I'm looking forward to talking to you. I know the rest of our team here is. So go do that as soon as you can. Thanks everyone. See you back next week.